Good morning, church family. Our scripture reading today will be taken from the Old Testament book of Job, chapter 42, verses 1 through 6. Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do all things, and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me which I did not know. Here and I will speak, I will question you, and you make it known to me. I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes have seen you. Therefore I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. This is God's word. Heavenly Father, as we come to this sacred desk to hear your sacred words, Lord, would you please show us your sacred word, Jesus Christ, who came, who died, who was resurrected by your mighty power, and now he has sent his Holy Spirit upon his church. Father, help me get out of the way so that what you once said gets said, no more, no less, to the glory of Christ and the good of his people. And the church said, Amen. In her book, Holding On to Hope, Nancy Guthrie wrote, We had our daughter Hope for 199 days. We loved her. We enjoyed her richly and shared her with everyone we could. We held her during her seizures and then we let her go. The day after we buried Hope, my husband said to me, you know, I think I expected our faith to make this hurt less, but it doesn't. Nancy Guthrie went on to write, our faith gave us an incredible amount of strength and encouragement while we had Hope, and we were comforted by the knowledge that she's in heaven. Our faith keeps us from being swallowed by despair. But then Nancy said, I don't think it makes our loss hurt any less. She said, early on in my journey, I remember praying to God, God, if I have to go through this, then give me everything. Teach me everything you want to teach me through this. Don't let this incredible pain be wasted in my life. God only allows good and bad into our lives and we can trust him with both. And trusting God when the miracle does not come, when the urgent prayer gets no answer, when there is only darkness, this is the kind of faith that God values most of all. Nancy wrote, I believe that the purpose of hope's short life and my life and your life was and is to glorify God. Now, church, this month we've been in a series through the Old Testament book of Habakkuk, and it's a series called Hope in the Dark. But today I want to conclude this series with a look at another hero in Scripture, one who also questioned God, and his name is Job. Like Habakkuk, Job learned the mysterious magnificence of God during a season of unspeakable suffering. Now, as we look at the life of Job today, 
We're going to see first that God's people sometimes experience undeserved suffering, pain that is unexplained and undeserved. And then I want us to hear some explanations that some well-meaning people give that really don't help at all and that really aren't truthful. And then finally, I want us to understand what it is God wants us to remember most in times of darkness. What does God want us to bring to mind? What does God want us to remember most when we're in the darkness of suffering? That's where we're going today. Well, in the book of Job, chapter 1, verse 1, we learn about this wonderful man, this godly man, the kind of man that you would want as your neighbor. Chapter 1, verse 1 says, there was a man in the land of Uz, that's northeast of Israel. So Job is not an Israelite. His name was Job, and he was blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil. So we learn that Job was the wealthiest most spiritual person of his day. He was in a league of his own in terms of material prosperity and spiritual maturity. But one day, unknown to Job, and it will remain unknown to him, Satan appears before the throne of God. And like a diamond thief meeting the owner of a jewelry store late at night, the owner says, what are you doing? And Satan says, oh, I'm looking for something to steal. To which the owner says, well, have you seen this stone? It's the most beautiful of the bunch. Chapter 1, verse 8. Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil? So whatever happens to Job, we know this, that it it's not because of sin. It's because there is an enemy, an accuser. An accuser who says this, does Job fear God for nothing? Well, of course he's obedient to you. You've paid him off. But take his wealth and he will curse your name. And God says to Satan, do anything you want, just don't touch him. And Satan proceeded to strip Job of his possessions. His children were killed. He lost his wealth in one day. And later, Satan said that Job would curse God if his health went bad. And God said, all right, you may take away his health. Only you may not take his life. And by the end of Job chapter 2, this prince of a man of God sits diseased and impoverished in the city dump with absolutely no clue as to why all this has happened. And even his wife was in such despair that she blurted to him, why don't you just curse God and die? Get it over with. And Job replied, shall we accept good from God and not disaster? God's people often experience unexplained and undeserved suffering. I've said it before and I'll say it again, church family. It is my job as your pastor to prepare you 
for your day of undeserved suffering. So that when that day comes, you will praise God and not curse God. So that you will say with Job, shall we accept good from God and not disaster? You may be shaving one morning and feel a lump on the side of your neck. You may have the right of way in an intersection when I mean, you're in a terrible accident that was not your fault. And you're going to ask a thousand times, God, why? Why did you let this happen? Why does God allow a tornado to skip over an abandoned warehouse and slam full force into a fully occupied daycare center? Why? Why was my wife's cousin killed in a car accident the day before his wedding? Why do innocent children suffer from abusive adults? Why does God allow suffering? And for the next 35 chapters in this book, Job has a vigorous interaction with his best friends to explain this suffering. His friends' names are Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar. Uh, and here's how their conversation works. Job speaks, then Eliphaz replies. Then Job speaks again, and then uh, Bildad replies again, and then Zophar speaks, and then Job speaks. And, and this happens about three times, three cycles. Now, now true confession. Uh, when I'm losing an argument, um, a spirited discussion with my wife. After the first five minutes, I typically don't have anything else new to say. I mean, I just become more passionate, right? No new content, just more drama. And that's what's going on with Job and his friends. They go through three cycles of back and forth. But I'll tell you, after the very first cycle, everything content-wise that was said will not... There will be no new content after the first cycle and just more drama. And here's their point to Job. Their point, all three of them say, Job, you just need more faith. You just need more faith. Job, your life is a mess because your faith is a mess. You've obviously sinned, so just clean up your faith and your life will get better. It's, for them, it's reductionistic and formulaic. Take this pill. Read this book, listen to this tape, if A, then B. Job, you do this, then God will do this. You just need more faith. Have you ever had someone try to explain your hardship? And the more they talked, the more you'd wish they wouldn't. You just need more faith. How many people have been pinned beneath the insufferable advice of Job's comforters? If I only had more faith. If I only had more faith, my prayers would be answered or my disease would be cured or my business uh, would prosper or my child wouldn't have died or I could have saved my marriage if I only had more faith. You know, let's just say that were true for just a moment. What would be different if you had more faith? <laughs> would you be more bubbly? Would you, be, would you be like more extroverted if you're an introvert? Or would you be really, really extroverted if you're already an extrovert? I mean, what, 
You know, would every approaching traffic light turn green? Would you get the closest parking space to the store? Would would your marriage sizzle if you only had more faith? Would you have self-parenting children if you only had more faith? Would they grow up, marry Christians, and then live across the street if you only had more faith? What does that mean anyway, if I only had more faith? For many, it means that my situation must change for God to work in my life. Job, God can't use you now. Look at yourself. You need more faith. Fix yourself, Job. Come on. To which Job says, what's wrong with the faith that I have right now? I'm only asking God, where are you? Not God, are you? Believers who buckle to the, if I only had more faith line, enlarge their giving, intensify their church activity, and increase their Bible reading under the assumption that enough religious motion will leverage the Almighty. But church family, God will not be leveraged. Question, does it take more faith to pray your pain away or to trust that God can use you even in your hurt? How much faith does it take to believe that God can still use me even if life doesn't turn out the way I think it should be? In the New Testament, the Apostle Paul had what he called a thorn in the flesh, literally a wooden stake. And it was a debilitating affliction. And Paul pleaded three times for God to remove it. And each time the Lord lovingly said to him, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in your weakness. Paul I know you want a miracle, but the miracle is not going to be your faith story of how I healed the spike in your life. I'm going to do better than that. The miracle will be the amazement of those who will watch you hobble to the finish line in first place. Now, I'm not saying that you shouldn't pray, God, remove my thorn. I'm not saying that at all. Jesus prayed to his heavenly Father to remove the cup of suffering, the cross, the night before he was crucified. I am saying that God's best answer for you and us may be, my grace is sufficient for you. It's because God wants to do something in your life. It's not because he's mad at you and it's not because you've sinned. It's because God wants to do a work that just would not be possible otherwise. That's why James chapter 1 verse 1 says that we should count it all joy whenever we face trials of many kinds because we know that the testing of our faith produces perseverance and perseverance must complete its work so that we will be mature and complete not lacking anything well 35 chapters later job and his comforters are are right where they started and as you read this book you'll see that the more Job talked, 
Well, the more he actually sounded like his friends. And here's what I mean by that. Job's friends had said, Job, you need more faith. You know, if A, then B. Your life's a mess because your faith is a mess. Clean up your faith and you clean up your life. It's that simple. And Job said, no, no, I just want an explanation. In fact, I think I'm entitled to an explanation. <laughs> you ever felt like you're entitled to an explanation from God? Have you ever felt like that God owes you an answer? Here, God, look at all I've done for you. And now this has happened to me. The very least you could do is give me an explanation. That's what we read in Job chapter 19, verse 7. Job himself says, Behold, I cry out violence, but I am not answered. I call for help, but there is no justice. For some reason, we feel that if we just knew why, all would be right. But, but because God is silent, we question his character. C.S. Lewis was married for four brief, intensely happy years when his wife died of cancer. And Lewis wrote, The real danger is of coming to believe such dreadful things about him. The conclusion I dread is not, so there's no God after all, but, so this is what God is really like. Deceive yourself no longer. Job, as time goes by, begins to demand answers. Job 31, 35 says, Oh, that I had someone to hear me. Here is my signature. Let the Almighty answer me. Oh, that I had the indictment written by my adversary. Huh. Church family, be careful what you pray for. Because in Job 38, God replied. Now he could have said, Job, here's the deal. You, you've been a poker chip in a high stakes game of Texas Hold'em between myself and Satan. Just hang in there. I'll split the kitty with you. But that's not what happened. Here's what happened. Job 38, one through three. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Dress for action like a man. I will question you and you make it known to me. And God takes Job on a meteorological and zoological tour of creation. And what follows is a squall of questions which gush sheets of rain, an interrogation which storms the chamber of Job's heart with a wildness and a beauty and a terror that left Job and that leaves every Job who has ever suffered drenched and speechless. In these verses, the supreme ruler of the universe reminds us who he is and who Job is. Chapter 38, verse 4 says, Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Job, who said to the ocean? Now you can go to the Atlantic coast on the east and on the west, you can go to California, Oregon, and Washington. And, and then you can go to Texas and Mexico in the Gulf. But you may not go to Kansas. Verse 11 says, Thus far you shall come and no farther. And here shall your proud waves be stayed. 
Job, do you know that I have warehouses, warehouses full of snow and hail? That's in 38.22. Have you entered the storehouses of snow or have you seen the storehouses of hail? They're like, Job, they're at my disposal anytime I want them. Verse 35, Job, do you send the lightning bolts on their way? Do they report to you, here we are, sir, do they? Job, let's talk animals. Have you ever seen a lion crouching behind a thicket of grass, frozen before ambushing its prey? It's fascinating, fascinating. You ever wonder how I do that? Verses 39 and 40. Can you hunt the prey for the lion or satisfy the appetite of the young lions when they crouch in their dens or lie in wait in their thicket? Oh, and Job, what about the ostrich? Is that not the funniest looking bird you have ever seen? Not very smart, but I'm telling you that bird can run. 39, 17, and 18. For God has deprived her of wisdom. He has not endowed her with understanding, but she proudly spreads her wings and she laughs at horse and rider. Oh, and speaking of horses, Job, have you ever ridden a horse into battle? I mean, there you are, and there is that horse charging full speed ahead, right into that small, deadly space. 39.22, he laughs at fear. Since he is afraid of nothing, he does not run from the sword. Oh, Job, Job, can you teach a hawk to fly? Can you train an eagle Job 40, verse 2. Shall a fault finder contend with the Almighty? He who argues with God, let him answer it. You see, God's questions are not meant to instruct Job. Rather, they're meant to stun him. They're not meant to educate Job's mind. They're intended to bend Job's knees. Chapter 40, verses 3 through 5. Then Job answered the Lord, I am unworthy. How can I reply to you? I, I, I put my hand over my mouth. I, I spoke once, but I have no answer. Twice, but I will say no more. To which God says, no, 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 not so fast. <laughs> not you wanted to talk. Let's talk. Would you really challenge my justice? Chapter 40, verse 8. Would you declare me guilty to justify yourself, Job? Let's talk hippos. Yeah, hippos. In chapter 40, verse 15, uh, God says that the legs of a hippopotamus are trunks of oak. He has bones of bronze. His limbs are like rods of iron. But Job, all I need to do is rattle my saber and he'll do anything I want. Job, let's talk crocodiles. Huh? Yeah. You know, Job, I can reel that crocodile in just like a fish. I, I, and I can take a hook out of the mouth of a crocodile. Can you do that? Uh, will you play with him as a bird? Chapter 41, verse 5. Will you put him on a leash for your girls? <laughs> then God says, Job, there's this guy in Champagne. He's a pastor at a church. He has to pay bills every month. Invoices for this or that. He's got to pay taxes. Hey, Job, I don't do taxes. I don't do invoices. I don't do 
bills. 41.11. Who has a claim against me that I must pay? Everything under heaven belongs to me. Do you hear God? Instead of answering the why question, God gives Job a private tour through the gallery of his favorite works. He takes Job to the zoo. God lingers with pride over mountain goats and ostriches, self-amazed at all he can do. Look at this, Job. Isn't it magnificent? It's beautiful. It's mysterious. It's glorious. It's grand. It's full of splendor and wonder and discovery. And, and I created it all. And then after this stunning exhibit of bewildering creative power in which God just is amazed at all he's done. He shows this to Job after all of the tour that he gives. He turns to Job and he says, now, what was it you wanted to talk about? And the point is clear. If Job wants to enter the divine arena, he must show his credentials. For 35 chapters, Job says, God, why did you do this? Put yourself in my place. And God replies, no, put yourself in my place. Until you know where to scatter lightning or how to flow to hippo, can we really have a discussion over the things in heaven. Job. Job. If you can't understand. The world that you can see. How are you ever going to understand. The world you can't see. And God never answered Job's question. And Job never knows. Chapters 1 and 2. God didn't reveal the grand design. He revealed himself instead. And in doing so, he says that the most important thing to remember when we suffer is this. Trust God's presence. Trust God's power. And trust God's purpose. That's what I want you to remember. Am I willing to trust God? This is, this is about trust. Am I willing to trust God when every reason says otherwise? I believe the most important words Job spoke were in Job 42 too. I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. So Brian Shaw, you know who Brian Shaw is? 38 years old. He is the winner of four strongest man competitions. Strongest man on earth. 38 years old. Six feet, eight inches tall, 
He weighs 455 pounds. Brian Shaw. He and his wife have a three, soon-to-be four-year-old son named Braxton. Question. Does Braxton ever have to worry about tight pickle jar lids? Well, neither should you. The most important thing that I need to remember when I suffer is this. God is present. God is all-powerful. And God has a purpose for my life. Someone once said, finding God in life does not mean building a house in a land of no storms. It means building a house that no storm can destroy. And that's what we learn in the book of Job. And you may be saying, well, God spoke to Job, but he's not spoken to me. And I beg to differ. He has. He came in the flesh. He spoke God's words. He came to seek and save the lost. His name is Jesus. Jesus is God. He's the ultimate Job who suffered an undeserved death on a Roman cross. And he did this so that you could spend heaven with him by grace through faith. Jesus suffered to remove your sin so that you would have the power to persevere when you suffer. It was on September morning in 2001, there was carnage at Ground Zero. The collapse of Tower One on Building Six created a, a crude chamber in the clutter. And in the chamber, through the dusty sunrise, a cross was spotted. A cross in the midst of a crisis. It was standing alone, independent of human help. The beams had come from two separate buildings. And when they crashed into one another, the two girders bonded into one, forged by the fire. And someone asked, where is God? And someone answered, there, in the midst of it all. <laughs> 